Hi, my name's Madalena Kay, and I'm the host of the podcast AI and You, produced by Europod in partnership with Podium Podcast, Agence France Press, and Cora Media. In AI and You, we deal with the history of AI and how it is having an impact on our lives. From social relationships to employment, from climate change to wars and security. Is AI changing our world for the better or the worse? Come and check it out for yourself. Subscribe to AI and You wherever you listen to podcasts. Europod. In this second episode of a special series of Europe Talks Back, dedicated to an investigation revealing a huge greenwashing operation in Indonesia and published by the pan-European MediaVox Europe, we're going to talk to Stefano Valentino, who's the author of that investigation. Stefano Valentino was also featured extensively in the first episode of this special series, where we tell the story of the greenwashing operation. But in this episode, which is structured as a direct interview between me and Stefano Valentino, we're going to deal with some of the issues we couldn't analyze in the first episode. For the very same reason, we invite you to listen to the previous episode first. Otherwise, it might be difficult to understand some of the content in this podcast. This is me speaking to Stefano Valentino. Mission Berito Pacific pretend in their official communication that the project started just when they sign up their partnership. So basically the partnership is the year zero of the project. Like if actually they started planting the rubber, the rubber trees right after they signed the partnership. And they started actually looking for finance only when they decided to issue the green bonds. But actually this is not true. The tree planting operation started well before Michelin Barito Pacific signed the partnership, as I said, in 2010, when the, the forest clearing happened. So the forest clearing happened, and then right afterward, the rubber trees were planted. So mm-hmm. they, they were going in a parallel. And by the way, the same public information, a, a document about the project, which was circulated by BNP Paribas to the investors, clearly says that uh, the green bonds are going to finance rubber trees which have been planted since 2010. So the public information document says the project started before the joint venture was signed. And uh, we analyzed sections of this public document. We analyzed the Green Bonds certification report issued by the agency, which certified the green nature of these bonds, and also the USAID, the US Development Agency. And uh, through actually analyzing those documents, we found out evidence, 100% evidence, that a large share of the value of the green bonds, up to one third, was used to cover the cost of the prior deforestation and conversion of forest to rubber trees before the joint venture was signed. This is outrageous. Is there anything until now illegal going on in what we have described? Because I think this is an important point that, but correct me if I'm wrong, until now what we have described, put aside the deforestation, maybe we can discuss on later, but there's nothing illegal going on. Indeed, uh, yes, uh, destroying endangered species habitat is not something which is uh, considered illegal, unfortunately. Environmental crime is not a crime uh, according to uh, Indonesian law. And so um, Bishla, Bipi Bariba and Berito Pacific can claim their project is totally illegal. Why? Because before getting the permit to clear the forest in 2010, the Indonesian government approved an environmental impact study. This study was performed in 2009. 
But there is a trick with this environmental uh, impact study. So before Barito Pacific through its subsidiary in Sumatra got the permit to clear the forest by the government in 2010, the same government through the Ministry of Forestry and Environment, which is the same which issued a permit of deforestation, approved a document which was signed by NGOs, by the National Conservation Agency of Indonesia, public authority, not uh, NGO, the office of the Bukitikapulu National Park. So as I said, the Indonesian government signed this document through its Ministry of Forestry and Environment to expand the national park, the Bukitikapulu, to incorporate the surrounding forest. Those surrounding forests at that time overlap which what would be one year later, the concession of Barito Pacific subsidiary. So the first idea of the government was not to give permit to clear the forest, but to preserve the same forest. In my opinion, there was kind of a dispute within the same Minister of Forest and Environment, which on the one hand approved this document to preserve the forest, on the other hand approved this environmental impact study. The document to preserve the forest as part of the expanded area of the Bukitigapur National Park, said that this forest was a very high biodiversity hotspot and needed to be preserved. Then, this environmental impact study basically said that this forest could be cleared. So, th there is a clear lack of consistency within the Ministry of Forest of Indonesia, which actually split in two different versions. So it is legal, but the fact that it is legal doesn't mean that the forest didn't deserve to be preserved. Absolutely. Now, the point is that it's therefore a legal process going on. There's deforestation going on in this area between 20, 2009 and 2014. Then this green operation starts. But the real question is here, how could this be certified as green? I think the essential point where this whole operation becomes possible because you pointed at the fact that there has been an audit on the ground where Michelin took part with an external audit checking what was going on before the agreement with Barito Pacific took place in 2014. Then the money flows in because through this platform, which is marketed by BMP Baribas, this is all nice and good, but someone has certified this operation as green. How was that possible? So certifying green bonds is very easy. I think uh, even uh, you and I, you can do it if we have enough money. So basically, you give a call to a so-called certifying agency, which has to be qualified by an organization, which is called International Capital Market Association, which is an association which affiliates financial institutions, which set up the Bible of green finance, which includes a set of requirements that need to be met for a bond to become green. So these requirements are called the green bond principles. It's kind of the, the decalogue of green finance. Mm -hmm. So what uh, happens? This certifying agency have a look to the paperwork produced by the green bond uh, issuer and uh, does a check on the internet to see if the goals set by the project, which is supposed to be financed through the green bonds, are actually green, so contribute to uh, environmental and social uh, benefits. And then, so uh, it qualifies as a green bonds according to these green bond principles. The thing is that this uh, certifying agency doesn't do any field work. Basically, it relies on the documents which are provided by the project holders, the project issuer, which in this case 
where RLAU, so Royal Lestario Tama, which I repeat, was the company held by Barito Pacific and Michelin, and BP Paribas, which was the financial lead of the operation. So this is of absolute importance here. You're saying that the certification of green bonds is based exclusively on documents which are provided by the same companies who have an interest in getting that certification. Exactly. Which is paying, by the way. Paying. The certification agency, yes. It's paid by the same company which want to have the green bonds certified. And besides relying on the documents shared by the project holders, the agency also does a quick search on its own database. But in this case, the agency didn't perform the due diligence correctly because first, it didn't interview Michelin. It only interviewed the company which was held by Michelin and Barito Pacific. Now, because at that time Michelin was not the majority owner, he didn't have any say during the interviews. But it was Michelin which commissioned the audit, which said that uh, Barito Pacific subsidiary was cleaning the forest before this joint venture was signed. So, of course, Barito Pacific, which was the majority owner of the company at that time, had no interest to share this audit report to the certifying agency. So the certifying agency didn't know about the existence of the uh, report audit. And secondly, because the official project owner was, uh, again, this uh, shareholding company, Royal Lestari Utama, and not the subsidiary, the certifying agency, through the search on the internet, only look for information about Royal Lestari Utama, the joint venture. He didn't look for information about the subsidiary which actually cleared the forest. So he didn't have any clue about the fact that uh, this subsidiary cleared the forest before the joint venture happened. So are we talking here about businesses and enterprises which are unknown to the geographic, social, economic context of that area? Mm. I mean, is it really so likely that no one knew that the subsidiary of RLU did that stuff before the whole green operation? Well, we found a couple of uh, reports by NGOs, including WWF, uh, we need to ask something about WF later, which actually exposed deforestation by Barito Pacific uh, subsidiary before the joint venture was signed. But these reports were not caught by the screening performed by the certifying agency, just because, as I said, the certifying agency was just typing on the internet the name of Royal Estariutama and not the name of the subsidiary. So they never got the report, but this report was public information. In 2000. 20, I move fast forward now, mm -hmm. uh, Mighty Earth, which is the NGO, which first exposed this uh, greenwashing scam, submitted uh, its own report showing uh, through satellite images and other pieces of information that actually forest clearing happened before this adventure, submitted this report to the certifying agency. And? The certifying agency said, ah, oh, now we know what really happened, what we didn't know back then. And then Mighty Earth Report asked the agency, so what are you going to do about it? Are you going to revise mm -hmm. your assessment? And they didn't answer about it. We found out that uh, the Green Bond Principles have a section which is called the guidelines for the certifying agency. So the certifying agency need to comply with these guidelines when they perform their assessment. These guidelines say that the assessment needs to be revised only when the project holder, the bond issuer, ask for it. So basically, as long as RLU, which is now owned by Michelin, doesn't go back to the certifying agency and say, hey, hello, 
Now everybody knows that our partner in Indonesia, Clear the Forest, now we want you to revise your assessment and say to the investors, we are sorry, we didn't know back then that Mission Partner Clear the Forest before uh, the joint venture was signed, before you purchased the green bonds. Now we know, now we say it. Do you think it's kind of plausible that Michelin is going to make this a suicidal move? No. Mm. So the assessment will never be changed. So, Stefano, what makes this whole story so fascinating is that it's not only a local story, but it's embedded in global governance, so to speak. You mentioned the Paris Climate Agreements, and not only in governance, but also really notorious actors of the NGO field, of the economy, and of institutions are part of this story somehow. So that's why it's so such a story which is representative, I think, of the world we live in. Now, we talked about the big business, Michelin. We talked about the institutional partners, about the banks. But there's one partner you mentioned just a few minutes ago, which is really relevant at least to have a short shot understanding what the role of this organization was, which is the WWF. We didn't mention it until now, but what, if any, was the role of the WWF in this whole story? So Michelin, to make uh, its project uh, look even uh, greener, in 2015, got on board WWF. And uh, in uh, May 2015, WWF and Michelin released a public announcement saying that they set up the partnership where WWF will become the environmental advisor to uh, Michelin and Barito Pacific to actually implement the environmental uh, aspects of the project in terms of uh, conservation, reforestation, and uh, preservation of biodiversity. So why would the WWF go into something like this? WWF knew about the uh, dirty legacy of Barito Pacific because, as I said, the Indonesian branch of WWF was one of the authors of the reports which were published before the joint venture was signed, showing clear evidence of deforestation and deconcession. WWF has this optimistic approach saying that uh, they want to collaborate with companies to make them more environmentally friendly and to push them to have a better conservation approach. So WWF took the chance to collaborate uh, with Michelin. So they, they supported the project for actually being involved in the conservation parts of the project uh, until 2020. Then in 2020, after five years of collaboration with Michelin, they realized that actually Michelin and his uh, partner, Brito Pacific, wouldn't commit enough to conservation. And so they stopped the collaboration in 2020. Of course, Michelin and Barito Pacific have never publicly announced that WWF quitted the project. We found it out through talking with the WWF, which told us we don't believe anymore in Michelin, so we, we just stopped the collaboration. But Michelin, in a website of the project, you still have the involvement of WWF. But WWF was not the only big name in the project, which actually helped to make the project attractive and more reliable for investors, of course. But even the United Nations, as I said, in an environmental summit, which was hosted by the presidency of France with uh, Macron in 2017, right ahead, a few months ahead of the launch of the green bond issuance operation, the TLFF and the project by Michelin was announced publicly during this conference under the patronage of the uh, United Nations Environmental Program as uh, a landmark and a kickstart project for uh, green finance and the, uh, basically the flagship project which would uh, be part of the global agreement that during this summit, BP Paribas signed with the United Nations Environmental Program to basically release, I don't know how many billions of uh, US dollars 
two similar projects. So basically, BNP Paribas in the National Environmental Program talked about this uh, TLFF and uh, Michelin project as really the example, the model that should be followed to develop green finance in the future. And even recently, just before the COP27 started, again, the United Nations Environmental Programme was still talking about this project on its website, like a few weeks ago. So this project is still considered green by the global community, by the United Nations, by the banks, by mission. Everybody can still consider this project a green. Amazing. Listen, so what is going to happen next? if anything, in your opinion, because you unveiled and uncovered this big green finance scam, obviously based upon, you know, reports you mentioned, which were published also earlier, but you really digged into this, right? Analyzing thousands probably of pages of documents from different parts. What is going to happen? Well, I think going, things are going to happen if, uh, of course, the story becomes viral, is picked up by uh, big media. For sure, NGOs with whom we are in touch They will uh, submit our revelations to United Nations institutions, including the United Nations Environmental Program, which was one of really the big sponsors of this project, and to United Nations Human Rights Commissioner, which uh, may start the investigation on the lead grabbing on the social impact, because this project also had the social impact, not only environmental impact, meaning that the company made pressure, intimidation on local farmers, also indigenous, and forced them to hand over their land to plant rubber trees. This social impact part was actually well covered by our um, media partner in the Indonesia called Tempo magazine, which is one of the most renowned and uh, well-acclaimed um, investigative news out in Indonesia, which actually collaborated in, our, in this investigation, so actually doing field reporting. So they went on the field, they talked to the local communities, and they also shot aerial images with drones showing uh, deforestation, and the rubber plantations in the concession. Stefano, thank you very much for sharing this story with us today. Thank you to you. This was the second episode of a special two-episode series dedicated to Vox Europe's investigation, Investigating Green Finance Made in Europe. The authors of the investigation are Stefano Valentino and Emanuela Barbiroglio. The producer of this episode of Europe Talks Back is me, Alexander Damiano Ricci. Sound design, and sound editing is by Jeremy Bouquet. Hi, this is Alex again. It's time for some news about Europe Talks Back. After the first season of Europe Talks Back, which combined narrative approaches and direct interviews, next week we're going to launch season two of Europe Talks Back. We are pretty excited about this and we have a new format which is waiting for you. So if you haven't done it already, subscribe to Europe Talks back wherever you listen to your podcasts. And that's really it for today. Catch up next week.